Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So, um, with that, let me uh, kind of begin today's message uh, with a question for you. And, and don't raise your hand right away. Um, but just in the last week, okay, just think about this. In the last week, have you ever found yourself in the last seven days frustrated, irritated, annoyed, restless, or dissatisfied. Now, wait, don't raise your hands yet. I'll give you a couple categories. Uh, Maybe it's frustrations about your work, your job. Um, It might be frustration or dissatisfaction with your boss. Or if you're a boss, it's with your employees. Um, Maybe it's with your car. Uh, Maybe it's your income. Maybe it's your house. Um, Maybe you've been disappointed with your dog. Maybe you're disappointed with your neighbor. Maybe you're disappointed with your neighbor's dog, um, or your kids, or your husband, or your wife, okay? So any of those categories, or actually, brought it, if at any time during this past week you have found yourself dissatisfied with any aspect of your life, or the life of the person sitting next to you, raise your hand. Okay, all right, so we all experience that to some level. Let me ask you this question, have you ever thought about why that is? You ever wondered, why do I get so easily irritated? Why do I get so easily frustrated? Why am I so often disappointed and dissatisfied with my life? I think it's because there's something much deeper that's going on. Something below the surface, and it has to do with your soul, which is what this series is all about as we are going through this Easter season leading up to Easter. A time to pay attention to and work on and manage better our souls. Um, St. Augustine said this. He was one of the early church fathers. Um, He said this. This was his prayer. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you because there is something deeper going on. And this is all based on uh, John Ortberg's new book called Soul Keeping. It's actually been out for almost two years now, um, but it's great. We have copies of the book still available. You can get them at the information desk. We are selling it for $10, which is at a loss for us, but we want people to get into this book. And it's not too late to pick up your copy and start reading and come along with us. But uh, today I want to talk about soul satisfaction and and. Finding that satisfaction on the deepest level of who we are. We're going to look at another parable of Jesus, similar to what we did last week. Um, This one is found in Luke's gospel, chapter 12, if you want to turn there. And it's actually a fairly familiar one. And very often when we uh, teach on this, usually we're talking about materialism and greed. But it's also on a deeper level. It has something to do with the condition of our souls. And we'll find that out as we go through this together. So Luke chapter 12, verse 16. This is the story Jesus told. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus sums it up with this sentence. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. 
Now, as I said, very often we look at this and it's a teaching about greed and materialism, but I really think on a deeper level it has to do with the condition of our souls because there is this dissatisfaction that we have and we are looking to fill it in all kinds of other ways. And you know this, you know this is true because, and I know this is true, because every time I get what I think I want, I always want more. Am I the only one? Like that? No. You know, you're waiting for that raise, and you finally get that raise, and then you say, oh, I wish it was more. I, I, you know, I'm lusting over this car. I want to get this car. It's the car I've got to have. I do all the research on it. I go, and I get that car, and after about a year, I say, I'd like something more. It didn't have all the features that I thought I wanted. And, and that's true just about in everything, and it's because we are trying to satisfy a deeper desire with stuff that cannot satisfy it. And that's what this parable is about. Jesus is teaching us a deeper truth about our dissatisfaction, and it has to do with that soul satisfaction. So today, through this story, I'm going to take some time to talk about this a little bit. And it starts with this idea, that the root, and this is what we have to understand, the root of our dissatisfaction actually lies within our soul. It's deeper. That's why we are not satisfied no matter how much we get. Because it's a deeper longing, a deeper need. It is the soul's nature is to need because God designed our soul for connection with him. And that neediness is meant to drive us and draw us to him. And you find this, by the way, all throughout scripture, uh, particularly in the Psalms. And we've looked at a few of them over this series. Um, here's another one. Uh, Psalm 63, one says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. This isn't just a longing or, or something I, I really want, but this is, this is a thirst in a dry and thirsty land. This is the picture he's painting is that I am in a desert and there is no water to be found. And that deep thirst that I feel at that moment, that is the deepest longing of my soul and it is a longing for God. The good news is, the good news is, that our deepest longing is filled by God's endless supply of grace. He has exactly what our soul longs for. John, in his gospel, in the very first chapter, he puts it this way. Speaking of Jesus, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. In other words, it never runs out. The deeper our longing, the more he has to fulfill it. That it is this ongoing thirst really for him. And he has more than enough to satisfy the thirst. John Orper put it this way in his book. The soul's infinite capacity to desire is the mirror image of God's infinite capacity to give. The unlimited neediness of the soul matches the unlimited grace of God. That, that every bit of our neediness, God has what it takes to fulfill that. On the deepest level of who we are. So the first step when it comes to this whole idea of soul satisfaction is, is to acknowledge the fact that I have this ongoing, endless desire for satisfaction. That I have to admit that. That's true of any 12-step program. The first thing you got to do is admit you got the need. And so the first thing towards soul satisfaction is to understand, I have this constant dissatisfaction deep within me. And the only place it's going to be filled is in my relationship with God. And that's where we get into the story. 
this landowner now is at a crossroads. And, and it says, uh, Jesus tells a story that um, the ground of the certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. More than abundant, more than enough. So much so he had no place to keep it. So he said, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, he doesn't realize it, and you may not have thought about it, but when you ask that question, what shall I do? That's a sole question. Because he, he has achieved not just what he wanted, he has achieved abundantly beyond what he wanted. And now he's at a crossroads. What am I going to do now that I've gotten the more that I thought I wanted? See, that's, a, that's really a sole question. When you get that raise, when you get that advancement, when you get that success, wherever it might be and however you might define it, when you get there and you ask yourself, okay, now what am I going to do with this? That's a sole question. And you got to understand, just because you got it doesn't mean you're going to be satisfied. That maybe, just maybe, there's a deeper and better use of it doesn't realize it, but it is a sole question. This um, graphic illustration that we've been using from um, Dallas Willard kind of describes what's going on. Okay? He's, he's, his will, he's, he's faced with a decision. I've got, this, I've, I've got all of this now, more than I ever thought I would, and now I'm faced with the decision. What am I going to do? What's the choice I'm going to make with it? And so he has this thought in his mind. He's going through, what shall I do? How am I going to solve this problem? This is a problem I never thought I would have. What am I going to do about it? The problem is that the body, which is our appetites, keeps telling us that what you really want is physical well-being. What you want is to make sure you got enough saved up for the future. And he's missed the point. Because all of these other things are working in conspiracy against his soul. And those kind of choices that you make in those moments all affect the condition of your soul. Because the neediness was intended to drive us to God. But our mind and our will and our body keeps telling us to solve it other ways. And so we fill it with other things that tend to distract us from God. And what was intended to drive us toward God, actually we redirect and it draws us away from God. I'll give you an example of this. Back in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s, okay? Um, some of you might remember this. This is like ancient history. Um, but it was very, very popular to do van conversions. And what you would do is you'd find this old van and you would fix it up and you would carpet the inside and panel the walls and, you know, special down lights inside there and classy paint job on the whole thing. And, and so I got a van. I found an old delivery van. Actually, the engine had been blown, but I found someone to rebuild the engine for me. I got this thing, and it was a mess. But I went to work on that thing, and I paneled it, and I carpented it, and I got the, the, the captain's chairs, the swimming captain's chairs. Some of you remember that kind of stuff. <laughs> I ate, drank, and slept this van conversion. In bed at night, I would be thinking about the paint job. To this day, I can remember that. And during that season, I kind of jokingly referred to it as, this is my idol. The truth was, that's exactly what it was. Because it became so important to me, and I became so obsessed about it, and what it would look like, and how I was going to detail it, and how I wanted to finish it all off, that it actually became something that occupied my mind more than my relationship with God. I would like to say that that is the only idol I've ever had in my life, but it isn't. 
I find all throughout my life there are things that I become overly interested in, almost obsessed with, and they, they, they're, 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 they are where my mind goes when it has some free time. And I start thinking about that or what I'm going to do about this. And it's all these other competing things because I'm trying to find satisfaction for something deeper. And I've got to stop myself every once in a while. Wait a minute. What is it that's driving this? This is really not all that important. Anything that gets in the way and begins to distance us from God is the soul trying to find satisfaction where it cannot which goes to the second thing about this story, that we will never be satisfied if satisfaction is the goal. See, if being satisfied is the goal, we will never achieve that. Like I said, because there's always that longing for more. We try to, to fulfill the soul's neediness with stuff that cannot possibly satisfy it. And that's where this man finds himself. He's asked that question, but he doesn't understand it has to do with the condition of his soul. And so his answer is not a soul answer. His, answer, his solution is not a soul solution. His solution is this. And, and I've chosen actually to use the New American Standard Bible uh, version because um, some of our newer translations like the NIV, which I usually refer to, has substituted the word soul for self or, um, or life. But the word actually in there is the word soul. And this is his solution. He says, this is what I will do. I will tell down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, because that's what the word is. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. So take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. The problem is not that he wants to be, take life easy and eat, drink, and be merry. That's not the problem. The problem is he's found the wrong solution for his soul. And he's saying to his soul, this is what I will do. Soul, this will satisfy the deal. And, and that is actually the word. The, the, the Greek, our New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And, and the Greek word here is suke, P-S-U-C-H-E. It's the prefix that we use, psych, P-S-Y-C-H, as in psychology, psychiatry. Psychology was originally the study of the soul. We've made it the study of the mind and the emotions. But really, it has to do with that deeper longing. And that's what he's doing. He has figured out, this is, what, this, this is the lie that we all tell ourselves. My, we have this interior life, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and we have this exterior life. We have the inner life that nobody sees except us and God, and then we have the outer life, which is on display for everybody else. And that gets all the attention, and that's where we derive our meaning so often, and so that's where we put the emphasis to the neglect of the soul. And we think, this is the lie that we tell ourselves, that if I am successful in my outer life, then my inner life will be satisfied. And it isn't. Dr. Martin Seligman, a psychologist, as a matter of fact, um, started doing some research and some study into what what we have found is with each generation, there seems to be a rising incidence of of depression in our society, in our culture. And so he did a great deal of research on this, actually published a couple of papers on it, published some books on it. Um, And and what he decided is, what has happened is that we have replaced these important things like faith. And by the way, he's not necessarily a man of faith that I know of. But he says, we have replaced faith and God and community, those bigger things, with this small thing called the self. 
and the self cannot possibly bear that weight. In a recent address to the American Psychological Association, he put it this way, where can one turn to now for identity, for satisfaction, or for hope? To a very small and frail unit indeed, the self. One condition for meaning is the attachment to something larger than you are. The self is a very poor sight to find meaning. And and by the way, in his description of this search for the self and putting all the emphasis on the self and self-esteem and self-confidence and all those things, he has actually named this self. He has named this self after a state in our United States. Anybody want to guess which state he named it after? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't North Dakota. He calls this person, this self, the California self. Yeah, why does everybody pick on California? We said that, that's what has happened, that we've become all about the self, and we have lost the bigger connections in life. We are looking to satisfy the self to the detriment of the soul. And that's why we continue to be frustrated and annoyed and restless and dissatisfied. Because it cannot possibly meet the deepest need of who we are. John Ortberg in his book recommends that when you find yourself in those moments of frustration or irritation or those moments of dissatisfaction, to do some soul talk like David does in the Psalms. But instead of saying, you know, why so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your open God. Just when you find yourself frustrated, just stop for a moment and say, why so frustrated, oh, my soul? Or you find yourself angry. Why so angry, oh, my soul? Or you find yourself dissatisfied. Why so dissatisfied, oh, my soul? Because he says when you do that, when you identify that there is a deeper need and longing there, it tends to move us more towards prayer and towards God, which is the very thing that we are looking for. You are responsible, and I am responsible, for the care of our own souls. And that's what God says as the story goes on. God says to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared for yourself? See, he said... Our soul is not our own. Your soul is not your own. It is on loan from God. And he placed it within you to draw you to him. And you are responsible for it. It will be required of you. It will be required of me at the end of my life. What did I do to maintain the health of my soul? You are not your own. You were made for God. Dallas Willard puts it this way. Your soul is what you take with you into eternity. It is the eternal now that will be the eternal you. See, so often we think about our souls in terms of where I'm going to end up when I die. But, but it's not about where you end up when you die. It's about what's happening here and now in your life. That eternal you is already being shaped and formed. And that is what you take with you into eternity. So, the last thing is to understand that a, a, healthy soul, a healthy soul can find satisfaction and can actually do it regardless of any circumstances. 
See, a healthy soul is not driven by the externals. A healthy soul is not uh, uh, pulled away by, by the outer life. A healthy soul knows its center. Jesus defined it this way when he wrapped up this, this parable and he said, it this, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. That is the definition of a healthy soul. A soul that is rich toward God. And it's the one thing that is missing for the landowner in this story. He thinks he is satisfying his soul, but he will not be satisfied. A soul that is rich toward God is one that is centered on God, that is yielded to God, that is aligned with God. The psalmist described it this way. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit, yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And it's not just about prosperous success. What he's saying is the soul that is centered, the soul that is right with God, the soul that is focused on the things of God and the word of God, whose life is brought in line with God, it is like a tree that is planted right next to the river whose roots go down deep to be able to absorb. It goes right to the source. And because of that, it is healthy and it is fruitful. And and its leaf does not wither. It doesn't die. It doesn't die of, of thirst because its roots are tapped in to its source. It says that is the nature of a soul that is rich toward God. It is a soul that is yielded to Christ. Because, see, that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to meet us where we are at. And what he did in his life was he modeled a life that was right with the Father. He modeled a life that was a healthy soul. And when he went to the cross, what he did was he satisfied that sin that would pull us from God. He paid the price for that, for you and for me, so that our souls could be restored and renewed and made right with God and live right with God. The re- because of the resurrection, he now restores us at the deepest level of who we are. And a restored soul, a healthy soul, can withstand anything that comes its way. Because it's not the external circumstances or, or situations in which we find our meaning, in which we find our, our purpose, in which we find our life. It comes from a deeper center, a deeper core. Which means you can go through some pretty tough things and still be all right in the middle of them. Because throughout your life, you will face worries, and you will find yourself in endless pursuits of satisfaction. You will have unmet expectations. You will be anxious about the future. All of those things. Not all through your life, but there will be seasons like that. And it's in those moments that you realize where your soul's satisfaction really comes from. And I have found in my own life that God has done some of his deepest, deepest work in me and in my soul through those most difficult times in my life. Apostle Peter wrote a letter to church that was suffering immensely under persecution. And he wrote these words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
in those moments, you can still find satisfaction. And I saw it illustrated best this way. That when you find yourself in those moments of frustration or anger or dissatisfaction, see, most of those things are things that are way beyond your control anyway. That's why you feel so frustrated. That's why it is so annoying. Because you have no control. But when you acknowledge that underlying need, And you turn that into some soul talk to say, why so anxious? Why so worried? Why so frustrated? Oh, my soul. It brings me back into the connection of the one who really is in control. And all of those pursuits and all of those anxieties and worries and frustrations, I let go. I let go. Because I'm not in control anyway. Would you bow your heads with me? In a few moments, we're going to share together in communion. A reminder of Christ's rescue of our soul, but also the reminder of his presence with us today. And as we share together in communion, I've asked John to sing an old, old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And if you don't know the story behind that, it was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. He was actually a wealthy man in Chicago and lost pretty much all of his business in the great Chicago fire. And somehow he was able to kind of put things back together and, and he had sent his wife and four daughters um, on, a, on a ship across the Atlantic to England and he had some last minute things so he couldn't travel with them. He planned to meet them later. And on their voyage across the Atlantic, the ship had a collision with another ship and it went down. And all four of his daughters perished. And his wife was barely saved. And when she finally got to to England, she wrote him and said, all is lost, only I am saved. He got on that ship, the next ship, to get there and to meet his wife. And it was on that voyage across the Atlantic. The story goes right about the place where the collision happened. This song came to him. It's a song of hope. It's a song from a well-ordered soul. So let me ask you today, how's your soul? Do you find yourself in an endless pursuit of things that really don't end up satisfying anyway? Do you find yourself at a point right now where you are anxious about your future and it's totally out of your hands, but you're still worrying about it, thinking that's going to fix it? Are you just overwhelmed with the things of life? Today, let me invite you to let it go. There's a God who loves you, comes alongside of you right in this moment, and you can put it in his hands and find that deeper satisfaction of your soul. If you find yourself in one of those kind of situations and you could use some prayer in that, I would love to pray for you as we close. If you're saying, yeah, that's me, Yeah, I am just endlessly pursuing the next thing, the next thing. I'm never satisfied. I admit it. God, what I need is you. Or yeah, I'm anxious because I don't know the future. I'm not sure where it's going to go. Or I'm overwhelmed with life right now or something terrible has happened or is happening in my life and my family. And I just need to put it in God's hands. Would you just raise your hand? 
hold it up for a moment and I want to pray with you. If you want to look up and catch my eye, I want to let you know I'm praying with you, for you. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, 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 yep, yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yeah. Now, maybe you're here and you don't know that relationship with Christ. You are living your life all on your own terms, and it's really not working. And you got enough failure and mistakes, and, and we'll call it what it is, sin, in your life. And you need His grace to forgive and renew and restore you. And for you today, maybe it's a first-time decision to just let go of your life and place it in the hands of the one who made you, who died for you, who loves you. Today, it's a first-time decision. Same thing. Would you just raise your hand, hold it up, catch my eye, because I want to pray with you and for you as we close. Anyone? All right. Join me in prayer. Lord, so much of this life, we pursue things even knowing that they're not really going to satisfy in the long haul, yet we just keep telling ourselves it will. And so many of us in this room have raised our hands saying, yeah, that's me. And whether it's a worry, anxiety, whether it's a pursuit that's just driving us, but driving us away from you. God, we acknowledge that's what's going on in the inner life, the life that nobody sees, but you do. And that drive that dissatisfaction that frustration is bringing us back to you today and we're letting go and asking that you would take us right where we're at that you would take control of these situations that are really beyond our control anyway yeah we will do what we need to do but so much of it is beyond us we're putting it in your hands would you by your grace take us hold us carry us so we learn to put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You may